Amen. Amen. You can be seated. <laughs> Man, there is such excitement uh, in a new year. Uh, by a show of hands, who saw Midnight last night? You get, yeah, I got you. I got you. Some, got some, got some, some, some adults in the room that are doing it. I'm, I thought that was just something that teenagers did now these, day, these days. I said adults. I said adults, Crystal. Jeez. Man. Um, Apparently, never mind. All right. <laughs> Starting off the new year right. Uh, man, we're good. Uh, hey, we are, but we're thankful for you being here. One of the things about uh, New Year's that it always strikes me, there's something magical, right, that happens December 31st at 11.59 and 59 seconds. There's a magical thing that happens in that one second from then to January 1st 12 o'clock midnight, right? Like there is a magical second that everybody just seems to have a new, fresh slate, right? It's a new year, new possibilities, new things. We know that yesterday was still there. It was still just yesterday, right? But, but there's a newness and it leads many people to do a lot of crazy things. Things like making New Year's resolutions. Any, any New, Year, New Year's resolutions in the room? It's not a trap, by the way, so you can admit it if you have some. All right. See, I know that's not true. Y'all ain't raising your hands. There's not crowd participation. It's because y'all been up since midnight, uh, up till midnight. So, uh, but here's what we're going to do. So I got me curious. I wanted to know what were the most common New Year's resolutions from 2022. And so I found that. I Googled it. Don't Google it because you're going to be cheating because we're going to play a game today to start everybody all out, off right. All right. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to find something to write down what you believe to be the eight most common New Year's resolutions. All right, in 2022, so from 2021 to 2022, what were the most common New Year's resolutions, all right? Uh, I found this from a uh, very reputable site. I Googled it. Um, I'm just kidding. It's from a statistics uh, agency from the Statista Global Survey of in the U.S. from 2021 to 2022, what were the most common New Year's resolutions, all right? And so I want you to number them one through eight. What do you think to be the number one all the way through eight? All right, we're going to play a game with it in just a minute. So take some time. You can do it on your phone, whatever. I'm not going to check your work. This is an honor system thing. Um, but I, I want to see how close that we get, all right? So whatever you think in the list that they, they occur. Uh, and while you're doing that, you, you can also turn to Joshua chapter 23. 23. We're going to be in Joshua today. Um, we are in a new series, new year, new series. Uh, we are in a series entitled Families Count. Now, this series is important for a couple of reasons. One is our home groups, which don't start back this week, but start back next week. We're going to be tracking this as a combo series. So what we talk about on Sundays is going to immediately apply to what we talk about on Wednesdays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays in our home groups. And so we're going to be uh, having that aspect of it as a combo series. But also... Um, Families Count is the name of a ministry that God has laid on my heart uh, as a Jerusalem ministry for our church. Now, we'll still continue to work with Neighborhood Bridges, but maybe as early as the fall of this year, uh, we hope to begin implementing this Families Count ministry. Uh, it started from a conversation I had with a lady that worked at DHR. 
Uh, and I was talking about ways that we could help and support the foster care system and from Elkmont and what we needed to do. The, y'all remember the Lifeway representative, the Lifeline representative that came, Tim Christ came and spoke to us this summer telling us about all these things that were coming down the line. Well, when I talked to her, her response to me was when we go to Elkmont, we don't, most of the time we go, we are not placing children in foster care homes. Most of the time, we are removing children uh, from homes of origin and, and crisis situations. And it just got me to thinking about that. And, and Lifeline has a ministry to birth parents called Families Count that we provide a six-week program where we provide meals and uh, we provide training, uh, parenting classes, and we share the explicit gospel inside that, the context of that parenting class uh, through that. Now, we're talking about messy, messy ministry that, that that's gonna, there's going to be some heartache and there's going to be some difficulty to it. And so we're still praying through some of this. But the material that we will cover over this month is going to be material that they cover in the family count, families count ministry. And so uh, that's how I want to pitch it to you guys in the way of vision to for you to be praying about these things. But as you have these conversations in your home groups and as you uh, talk, we talk on Sunday mornings, uh, I want you to be interacting with this because, man, this doesn't just have profound ramifications for people whose families are in crisis, profound ramifications for us today. And so uh, that's where we're going. That's what we're tracking in the month of January. But right now, I want to see how close we've gotten to the pin on these New Year's resolutions. All right, so let's begin. Top eight, New Year's resolutions. Number eight. All right, here's what I want you to do. If, you, if it is on your list somewhere, it doesn't matter what order, I want you to give yourself one point. But if you get it in the order that this is written in, right? So if you have number eight and you have this as your number eight, give yourself not just the one point, but three additional points as well. All right? We're going to see how close we get, and there may be a prize at the end of this. All right? Number eight, 20 percent of people that they surveyed had in their New Year's resolution that they wanted to quit smoking. Quit smoking. All right? Sounds like what Will has been trying to do this morning. That's why everybody else is singing for him. All right. (laughs) Number seven. Number seven. 21 percent wanted to reduce job stress reduce stress at their job or something related to their job. I don't know how you reduce stress at your job. Like, hey, tell your boss don't give you as much. I don't know how that works, but that's what they said. So there's number seven. Number six, spend less time on your phone or social media. 21%, that was a New Year's resolution. Spend less time on their phone and social media. How are we doing? We got people getting some points here? Doing well? All right. Number five, number five, 24% of people said that they wanted to spend less money or they wanted to budget or make better financial decisions. All right, so anything related to money will work there. Like I said, honor system, if, you, if you're on that train of thought, give yourself credit for it. All right, one point, but that is the number five thing. Number four, I think this is kind of low, but 34% of people said that they wanted to spend more time with family and friends. 
more quality time with family and friends in whatever shape, form you have that written in. If you got it on there, give yourself a point. That's number four. Now, the, the top three are related, but they are not the same, and you'll understand why when I say it. Number three, 41% of people said that they wanted to lose weight. Everybody's putting that at number one. Everybody put that one number one. Hey, look. It just shows, that just shows the company that I keep and the accountability around me. Like, we all need to lose a few. Uh, So that was number three. So apparently this was a much healthier audience that they were polling. Uh, 41% wanted to lose weight. Number two, 44% 44% wanted to eat, eat healthier. I don't guess they, those, they didn't have to uh, you know, lose weight, but they just wanted to eat healthier and be healthier, right? All right, so number two was to eat healthier. Number one, the most common New Year's resolution according to Statista Global Survey was 48% said that they wanted to exercise more exercise more. So tabulate your answers. If you got one or whatever, give yourself credit for one, one point. If you got them in the correct order, whichever way it falls, give yourself three additional points for all of those. I think the winning number last service was 10. Did anybody get 10? Boom. That's so funny because it's your boy. It's Hunter. Hunter Fielding got it, the last one. All right, who got 10? There was two hands I saw. All right, 11. You got 11? Well, come on up. You get your prize. In honor of the number one resolution, got you a jump rope. You get to exercise a little more, so there you go. All right. Mr. Pig will be so proud that you can get you in shape. That's awesome. All right, so uh, open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 23. The New Year's resolution, you get a new lease on life, and you just feel like, man, that there's, there's, there's just a fresh slate that we begin with. When we talk about what's happening in Joshua chapter 23, we're talking about a group of people. We're talking about the Israelites that had a fresh slate, like a new set of downs, like they had an opportunity to really make a difference. They had been led out of slavery in Egypt, right? Situations not ideal. They had been taken through the wilderness for 40 years, eating nothing but bread and water, right? Like that's kind of lame. 40 years they had wandered around in the wilderness. Then they had been led through the conquest where they entered the promised land and they overcame powers like Jericho and Ai and some of these other places that they defeated. All of the Canaanites they drove out. And so they are in the promised land now with a new lease on life, blank slate. What is it going to look like to be God's chosen people in the land that he had promised them? And so... We see this situation in Joshua chapter 23. They have been delivered from slavery, survived the wilderness wanderings, and have inherited the promised land. Now what? And Joshua, at the end of his life, encourages everyone to look back. We look back at the past. Joshua chapter 23, verse 1. A long time afterward... When the Lord had given rest to Israel from all of their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all of Israel, its elders and its heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen that the Lord 
what the Lord your God has done to all of these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Joshua is getting old. He is about to, his time on earth is about to come to a close and he gathers all of the the who's who of Israel around and they say, he says, listen guys, I'm about to die. But before I die, I want to tell you this. I want to preach this final message to you. And I want you, before you do anything else, I want you to think about what God has done for you. I want you to remember. So in a moment of a blank slate of a new year, what I want you to do in this moment for our church is I want us to look back at what God has done specifically in the context, right, of our families. What has God done in our life individually and as a family? How has God blessed us? He's charging the Israelites, number one, to remember all that God has done for them. What I've found in my prayer life is that sometimes when I have things that I need God to do, that list begins to get way more attention than the list of things that God has already done for me. Do y'all remember the Acts acrostic that he did for prayer, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, Right? These are all the attributes of prayer. Why? Why do we even have something like that? Because if we're not careful, we'll make our entire, entire prayer life about all the things that we need God to come through for us. Right? Here's all the stuff I need you to do, God, because you're God and you have control over it and I just need you to do them. Right? If we're not careful, we'll treat prayer that way. And adoration and thanksgiving become these small little things to get us to the list of, you know, God, thank you so much for who you are. You're powerful. You're great. Oh, but I've got a lot of sin. Here we go. One, two, you know, and we're, we're, we're naming our sins. We're confessing our sins. And then we get to Thanksgiving. God, I'm thankful for forgiveness. And now here's all the things I need you to do, right? And it's just, it becomes almost a transition in our prayer more than it becomes a part of who it is. And, and Joshua calls into account with the leadership. He says, this is what you can't do. If we are in the promised land, if God has delivered us, has placed us in this area, what we can't do is not afford to look back and to remember what God has done for us, right? But not just in our lives, but looking back even before the lifetime of some of these people that had only known the period of the conquest, that had not survived in the wilderness. They, remember, they had all died out. But remember all that God did for your fathers. Remember all that God did for your mothers. All that God did for your memaws and your pawpaws, right? Remember God's faithfulness because it is God's faithfulness, the remembrance of God's faithfulness that has profound ramifications for our life. Then he says, not just remembering who God is, but when we remember who God is, it has a humbling effect in our life. What it does is it shifts our perspective because we see God for who he is, we realize who we really are. So don't just remember who God is and what he's done for us, but I want you to remember who you are. Why is it incredible to think about all the things that God has done and blessed you with? Because you haven't deserved or earned any of it. 
You are the weakest of the powers. You are the least of the military force. You are sinful. You are unholy. Yet a holy God has chosen you as his possession. He has placed his name upon your people group. And he has fought your battles for you. It doesn't make sense to walk seven times around a city. I don't know if y'all realize this. Like I know it's in the Bible and you've heard it a lot, but it doesn't make rational sense to walk around a city. I remember listening to a scientist that thought that maybe that, that there was a seismic activity. That, that, and I was just like, this is stupid because it doesn't make sense. That's the point. Walk around a city seven times and yell real loud and blow some trumpets and falls down, right? House of cards. It doesn't make sense, but God fought their battles for them. And so this is, this is what he's recalling their mind, not just who God is, but who you are, right? That is a humbling pill to swallow. And listen to what he says in verse 14. Now, therefore, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, skip over a chapter. He begins to talk about all the people that God has conquered for them. But look in verse 14 of Joshua 24. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Therefore, because of what God has done in your past, obey and serve the Lord. Looking back at God's past faithfulness is the fuel that allows us to operate in present obedience. Let me say that again. Looking back at God's past faithfulness fuels our present obedience. If you have a problem being obedient to the Lord, your problem goes deeper than that. Your problem goes to the fact that your heart is broken. There is a thankfulness in your heart that you do not possess before God for what he has truly given to you. For giving you things that you didn't earn and that you didn't deserve. When you underappreciate what God has done in your life, you have a tendency to sell short obedience in your life. And so it's our obedience to God is dependent on looking back and remembering the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God for Moses, of Jacob and Abraham, of the faithfulness of God to provide, the faithfulness of God to lead us through the Red Sea, the faithfulness of God to feed us with manna every single day. The faithfulness of God to provide water from the rock. The faithfulness of God to defeat powers before we even arrive. The faithfulness of God fuels our obedience. It fuels our service for God. And so the question that I have is if, we have, if God has accomplished a ton of stuff in our life that we could never accomplish or have given us, or he has given us things that we could have never earned, then we owe our obedience to him. We owe it to him. It's his faithfulness. Remembering his faithfulness and being thankful for his faithfulness is what fuels future obedience. <coughs> and because we have received things that we didn't earn or deserve, we owe obedience to them. Are we thankful for what he's done in our life? And are you thankful for your family? Are you thankful for the ministry hub, because that's what your families are, the ministry hub that God has given you to pursue kingdom purposes through? Are you thankful for them? What does that thankful life look like? What God has done 
for me and my family may look different than yours, but I want you to know as your pastor, I am thankful to God for what he has provided for our families. I'm thankful that he saw fit to join my life with an incredible young woman down in Satsuma, Alabama, that I didn't know, I, I felt like God had not called me to singleness, that God taught me a lot through my, uh, through my college years, but God brought this woman into my life that was the perfect complement for what God had called me to do in my ministry. And I botched that some. I tried to make her like me and those sorts of things, but God used her, has used her unique gifting and abilities to make us as a unit more effective for kingdom purposes. I'm thankful for my bride. I'm thankful for Rebecca that God has placed her in my life. And she'll be the first to tell you that I typically forget to make acknowledge that, especially to her, uh, in most occasions, right? I take that for granted, right? I don't voice these things, but do we sit back and we think about, or do I think about the things that she's done in my, that she's not done, or she hasn't measured up in, and I, do I critique that instead of being thankful for what God has placed in my life? This affects everything. I'm thankful that God brought three amazing children into our lives. That Though it was not in our timing, I'm thankful for Cooper. And then I'm thankful for Hudson and for Maddie. I can't imagine, I tell people I'm the oldest 34-year-old you'll ever meet. Three minivans in, son, I am old, all right, old. I can't imagine my life any different. I can't imagine our life any different. And boy, there are times where I am really aggravated by one of these precious gifts of God. But in that moment, am I going to act in thankfulness to God, responding in obedience to God? There might be butts that need to be torn up, but can I do that in obedience to God, not out of anger and out of sin, right? Like, like how am I going to respond when I recognize what God has done in my life, it results in obedience because I'm thankful and I desire to serve him because he's a God that gave me a whole bunch of things that I don't deserve and I, don't, I sure didn't earn. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for the two of those three. One still growing, but two of those three. I'm thankful that I get to take part in eternity with my two sons. There's no greater blessing in the world than knowing that I get to be in glory with my kids. That's incredible to me. Why in the world would I cheapen the fact that the God's activity in their life by being selfish and nearsighted in my perspective? I get to and eternity, and I'm convinced that God's going to do it in, in Maddie's life too. That's a blessing. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for a church family. Jimmy Scroggins says that as a pastor, he's a pastor in the church in Florida, he said, as a pastor, you need to pastor a church that you would want your kids to grow up in. Can I tell you that doesn't happen everywhere? But that is reality here. I am thankful for the community that we live in. 
I'm thankful for the church that we're a part of. I'm thankful for the investment of people like Lynn and, uh, and Samantha and Joseph in my kids that are interacting with them on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, providing opportunity for them to grow. I'm thankful for men in my life in this church and women in my wife's life in this church who encourage her to grow and to be discipled in Jesus. This is what the church does and the pastor's family is not excluded from that. I'm thankful for the church that God has given me to grow and to be a part of. I'm thankful that he's given me a church that I can serve in too. That I could be a part of kingdom purposes as I am in the community. My kids can come along with me. I have accountability before God to you and you to me. That's something not to be neglected. And when we recognize what God has given us, we talked about it, man, the blood. If it was, if it was just the blood, it would be enough. But God has proven himself and we are his servant. We are in his debt and we should serve him faithfully. So looking back reminds us of our position as a servant. When I recognize that I got a bunch of stuff I didn't deserve and that uh, I, God has used me to do things that I can't accomplish on my own, what that leads me to the place of is me humbly desiring to honor a God that lavished these things on me. And so looking back reminds us of our position as a servant. Because otherwise, we take for granted these blessings and then when we start encountering pushback and bumps in the road, we start blaming a God that has lavished all of this stuff on us and we start treating him as though he owes us something. Listen to Luke chapter 17. This is a very interesting perspective that we don't hear. Stay in, in Joshua, but Luke 17 real quick, verse 7. Listen to what Luke, listen to what he says. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep, say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at my table. Who would say, who of you would say to a servant, hey, you've had a hard day. Come put your feet up, right? At the end of a hard day in the field, come and relax. He says, no, that doesn't happen. Will he not rather say, Say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, right? They're not, the, the servant's not getting lauded by the, the master on typical occasions of, wow, you did so good. Here's this, here's this great blessing that you get because you have done so well today. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, are to say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Well, I think we do things for Jesus sometimes and we are ever aware of the heavenly divine pat on the back that we believe we are owed. But when we have the posture of a servant, we're not doing things so that God will come through in future circumstances because we understand how he came through in the past. And we serve him out of that gratitude.
So he tells them to look back. As servants of God, are we asking the question in our homes, how can our family most effectively serve God this year? Have we asked that question? How can God use this unit that he put together and put us all in that none of us deserve? How can we use this to just lavish on God the glory that he deserves? Are we asking that question? Or have we defaulted to what we would rather do? We'll just do what we've always done. As a family, as an individual, we'll just do what we've always done. And so secondly, he calls into mind the present. Look at Joshua 24, verse 15 through 17. He calls them to witness the present. There is a response that is needed today in your life. I don't care why you're here. I don't care what brought you in here today. There is a response to God that he is calling you to make today. Now that may look different literally to every single person in this room. But God has you here so that you will respond to his word and you will change how you live your life. Joshua 24 verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. If in light of all the things God has done for you, you still arrive at the conclusion that he's a mean God, that he's a bad God and he is not a God worthy of serving, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do you know what that speaks to? If looking back and service speaks to humility with our plans and our aspirations and our dreams, do you know what this speaks to? It speaks to initiative. That I'm going to take the initiative in my family to ensure that me and my house will serve the Lord. That's a conscious decision that every one of us have to make. Every family in this room is going to have to make that decision for themselves. And I'll tell you right now, it's not made in the pews. It's not made on a Sunday morning. It's made on a Monday morning when everybody's running behind. It's at the end of the day when parents are tired and they're ready to go to bed and their kids are acting out of their mind. That's when that decision is made. It takes initiative, not pacificity. I want to be and take the initiative to declare that my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the decision to be made in the presence. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. All the things that Joshua is saying, he's saying the reason why I want to serve the Lord is because of all that God has done. But I want to take the initiative. Why? The people of Israel found themselves in a very interesting situation. In light of all that God had entrusted to them, what had God given Israel to this point? Well, number one, he had given them their heritage. 
All the way back to the patristic fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God had remained with them, had promised them. They, he, they had received God's promises, right? They had their heritage. They had the land, the physical property. You're in the promised land. This is a gift of God. This is something that has been entrusted to you. What are you going to do now living in this land? They had the law of God, right? God came down on a mountaintop and gave a man the standard of holiness by which all mankind was to live by. That is not something to be shook off, to be shrugged off. He had given them his law. He had entrusted it to them. And ultimately, because of that, he had given him in their presence. What God met with Moses and Joshua in the tent of meeting. He was their people and they were his God. Right? Like this is the, he gave them access to his presence. He had entrusted them with it. And the question on their minds was, what are we going to do with it? How would they put all that they had been entrusted with to work to honor God? Because obedience is born out of a healthy understanding of who we are as servants. When we understand who we are as servants, we understand why we need to be obedient. But honoring God comes from the understanding of who we are as stewards. Who we are as stewards can I tell you that you don't really own anything that you own? There is nothing under heaven that you can actually call your own. There is nothing that you possess that has not been allowed by an omnipotent God who could just as easily remove it. There is nothing that you well, how do I know that? First uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. This is Colossians 1.16. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. We got that. All things were created through him. He, he, he declared all things by the word of his powers. VeggieTales would say God spoke and it happened, right? Like that's VeggieTales theology, Larry theology. But... That's what happened. God spoke things into existence. And so all things were made through him. But that's not the end of the verse. All things were created through him and for him. What does that mean? That there is nothing that we, that we have that is truly our own. And also, to add to that, there is nothing that we have that is made truly for us. Everything we have been given is for God. We are not owners, we are stewards. God has lavished on us these blessings. Our children, our homes, our communities, our church. God has lavished these things for us, on us, not for us but for himself. And so, everything that I hold in my hands, I can't be thinking how I can bring myself the most joy through manipulating or using these things. The question I have to ask as a steward 
is how can these things be put to work to bring God ultimate glory because all things were made through him and for him. As creator, he owns the copyright. He owns the trademark. He deserves the glory. I don't own my kids, so I can't determine where God calls them. I don't own my wife, so I can't determine where God would lead her. I don't own myself, right? What did, what, what did, what did Paul say? Do you not know that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. So guess what, guys? We don't even own ourselves. To honor God is to understand who we are, students. As, as stewards. How can I bring God the most glory in my life? This is the question of the present for us. How do I use all that God has blessed me with to return honor and glory to him? This is the question of being a steward, right? Right? parable of the talents, the master that leaves, leaves one with five, one with two, one with one. Sometimes, man, mm. I heard Vody Balkum one time was sharing, this is not in my notes, um, Vody Balkum one time was sharing, he said, you, we would think that seeing God do awesome things in our life and blessing us with things would lead us to places of greater obedience. But he said, in fact, if we don't have the right perspective on it, the very things that God blesses us with, when we misinterpret them as for us, can be the very thing that we destroy the kingdom with in building our own. Now, I had to preach. It's just another thing that we have to continually lay down at the feet of our Savior. We are servants, but we are stewards. Are we stewarding our families well? This message today speaks of our purpose. What's the purpose of our family ultimately? The purpose of our family is to worship God, is to heap glory and honor on a God who is worthy because we recognize that we are not. Is that the culture we're creating in our homes? Or are we creating a selfish culture that serves ourselves and serves our own intentions and what we desire? You tell me. What does our practical theology look like in this area? Not what's in our head, because we can think a lot of things. I can think a lot, I've got a lot of spiritual ideas I can crop up in the old noggin here. But that doesn't always make its way to Monday morning. We look to the present. Has it ever occurred to you that if all things for him, or if all things are for him, then your family, while given to you, is not for you? Ultimately, while my family is a gift from God, they are to be employed for God. Put to work for him. Which leads us to the future. Joshua chapter 24, verse 31. I think this is important to bring out because I don't think pastors talk about it enough. Joshua, after preaching to these people, 
instilled faithfulness in them. Listen to what Joshua 24, 31 says. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work the Lord did for Israel. So there was a time that they were faithful. They recognized what God had done. They looked back on it and they thought it was awesome. And so they trusted God as servant and steward and they lived for God with their lives. But then time passed until we find ourselves in the very next book, the period of the Judges. And Judges chapter 21 gives us an encapsulation of the entire book of Judges. The entire book of Judges can be summed up in Judges 21 verse 25. As a conclusion for the book, after Moses and all the elders had died, after time passed for us, after January 1st left, and after it became February or March and all the resolutions that we made began to wane, after our commitment began to fall off, after the enchantment of losing those pounds, after it took a little bit longer than we anticipated, as that begins to wear, wear off, we begin to compromise, right? That's exactly what we see happen in Israel. To the point that we find ourselves in Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is not just about the period of the Judges. This is about the default of the human condition. We can live for the purposes of God or we can live for what is right in our own eyes. That's how we can live. We can live eternally for things unseen or we can live very temporally for things that are seen. The problem with that is things that are unseen are eternal. So we can live one or two ways. Your family exists for one of those two reasons. Not a blend for one of those two reasons. Do we exist for what is right in our own eyes or do we exist for the kingdom of God and making his glory known? So, looking back reminds us of our position as servants. Looking around reminds us of our position as stewards. We know that man will fall. Oh, man, we're, we're going to screw this up, all right? You're going to mess up. You're going to blow it. You're going to act in sin towards your family that you're trying to shepherd and steward in the right way. The beauty of it is, is that Jesus has already accomplished more than you ever could. Look what 1 Corinthians 1, 2 says. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who are in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Paul is talking to the church of Corinth who is known as the worldliest of the churches. They are the most infected by sin of any of the churches. And it is public knowledge. Let me give you an example. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11, chapter 1, verse 11, they quarreled and they fought with one another. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, they were jealous and they experienced strife. In 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 2, they were fornicators and adulterers. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty one, they were selfish drunkards and proud. So they were sinful and proud of it. Yet God calls them Paul calls them, those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of Jesus. Do you know what he tells them? He says, you are not 
sinners. That is not who you are anymore. You are saints. So looking back causes us to recognize who we are as servants. Looking around allows us to recognize who we are as stewards. But we look to the future where though we may not be righteous, Christ has declared us righteous. Not through our works, but for, through faith in the finished work of Jesus. So looking forward reminds us of who we are as saints. I don't always feel saintly, y'all. The good Bishop Ostrisky, saintly in his ivory tower. I don't feel like that. And let me just be flat out on it. The reason why I don't feel that way is because I ain't. All right? I'm not that. But I've been declared that through Jesus. And so if you are here today and your takeaway from this message is, ooh, we as a family, we need to do better. We need to try harder. I need to love Jesus more. If that's what you take away, then you've missed it. What you need to do is walk with him. Respond to a relationship with him. Surrender to him. And allow his life to be lived through you. That's what you need to do. Respond to the relationship that Christ has made available to you. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes as we enter a time of invitation. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come. It's not through activity. It's through faith. Not through all the things that we could do. It's about what's been done for us. What you need is one, you may be in here today and you need to be made new in Jesus. Maybe you need today to respond to Jesus for the very first time. Maybe you need to surrender your sin, the sinfulness of your heart to him, and you need to ask him for forgiveness to make you clean and you need to walk in obedience to him. As a servant, humbly as a servant, taking the initiative as a steward, you need to respond to Jesus and allow him to make you a saint, to declare you righteous though you may not be. So if you're here today and you need that relationship, I would invite you to respond. You can respond a number of ways. There's That connect card is a way for you to respond. You can mark a box, one of those boxes and say, I, I made the decision to trust Christ as my Lord and Savior. Or you can just mark, I want to talk to a pastor and I will call you up. We will talk. We will follow up with you this week. Now you can know that you have a relationship with Jesus. But you also may be in here and maybe, you don't, maybe you've been made new, but maybe you need a renewal. Maybe you need to surrender afresh and anew to Jesus. In this new year, whatever it is that God wants to accomplish through you is not going to be done on your power. It's going to be done on His. And so maybe you just need to respond in whatever way that God would lead you to respond 
maybe you need to respond in obedience to him. Leaving the life and the patterns that you've been in and allow him to make that renew. Make it clean. Sanctify you as a saint. Would you give him that opportunity today? I'll be here. Any decision that needs to be made, salvation or otherwise, would love to talk to you. Maybe you need to do some business with the Lord. Maybe you need to come and find a place here at this altar. Just lay down some things or lift up those that maybe God's calling you to reach in this new year. You need to, maybe you need to do that. Take full advantage of these next few moments. Maybe you need to make your altar your seat. Whatever it is the Holy Spirit would lead you to do, I pray that you would just be obedient to Him as servants and stewards. He's called us to be saints. Father, we're so thankful for how you speak to us, how you draw us, how you lead us and guide us. And I just pray as you're guiding people in this room today, I pray that you would guide us to obedience. That you would guide us to surrender. Now that we would walk with you in closeness and intimacy in this new year. May it not be a pipe dream that we cool on. May it be something that fuels everything that we do. God, I pray for the one that needs to make a decision today. I pray you give them boldness. Find me here at the front to talk with somebody before they leave, to let someone know on that connect card. But as we enter this time of response, we just pray that you would have your will and way in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. You can stand to your feet. As we sing, would you come?